If you turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to read verses 12 through 15. Actually, let's just go 12 through 14. When you get there, say amen. amen. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. This is what it reads. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you, there's a key word right there, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called, what? Hmm. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You can be seated. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you and um, before we do anything else, we just want to we want to just ask you to take control. Father, we know you already have, but God, we want to ask that you continue to have your way and your will. Those are not just words that I'm repeating because I've heard them over the years, God. That is what we want. We want you to have your way and your will in this service this morning. God, I know that, um, that, that I am still learning to be like you, God. And I know that I can still be just like anyone else. And I can be hardened. I can, I can be deceived. I, Father, there, I'm no different than anyone else here. And God, I just pray that your word would speak to all of us this morning, not just a few but that you would speak to us exactly what you want us to hear. Father, we open our hearts, we open our minds to receive your word and your word alone. Father, I pray that opinions would be kept away and that we would only learn what you would have us to know this morning. And Father, we love you and I pray that you have been lifted up and glorified this morning for that was our goal. And Father, we ask that again that you just forgive us when we don't let you have your will and your way. And Father, you correct us. You put us back where we belong, no matter what that takes. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, you'll notice the first word of that verse is what? Take heed, or another word for it would be beware. Beware. That means that there is a great danger of something, right? He, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to this group of Christians and he says to them, people, beware. He calls them brethren. As far as he knows, they are indeed his family. They are indeed his brethren. He says, beware, brethren. There is grave danger in this. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I begin to think about this. And I begin to think about... The, if you remember last week, I talked about refreshing. And does any of you remember how many were still with Paul during this time when he wrote 2 Timothy. All from Asia have turned away from me, he says. Having loved this present world, they departed and they left. How many people from all of Asia did he see come to the Lord? So the writer of Hebrews says to us, Beware, brethren, lest there be in the key word, three words, any of you, guess what? You are not exempt. And you know what's funny about this thing right here? Or it's not funny, but 
what brings great attention to me. Not only does he say, be in any of you, but he says, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And you would look at me this morning and say, I, there's no way that I have an evil heart of unbelief in me. There's no way that I have departed from the living God. But keep reading with me. Look what he says next. He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. And here he gives the other great, great danger. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What does being deceived mean? Huh? Misled? Misled, made to believe a lie? In other words, what he's saying is there are many people who have been hardened by the deceitfulness of some type of sin. And many of them were probably still going to church during this time. They were still probably attending worship services, but in their heart they had chose to walk in some type of sin of any kind. They had chose to live in some type of sinful lifestyle and because of that they were deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Their heart became hardened and they didn't even realize that as long as they were following this path they were departing from God and they were walking in an evil heart of unbelief. And you say, I don't believe that I'm walking in unbelief. Well, listen, here's the thing about it. If you believe God, you follow him. If you don't believe God, you walk away from him. If you are following sin, guess what? You have an evil heart of unbelief. You refuse to believe what God says, and you choose instead to live in a lifestyle of sin. So he tells us to beware, but then he gives us a vaccine. If you'll look again in verse 13, he says, there is a vaccine that God has put in place. Uh, there are some people in here, now I don't get the stupid thing, but how many of you go get the flu shot? Last time I got it, I got sick. So somebody will say to me, ah, you just need to, I don't care what you say, I ain't going to get another one. I ain't going to get it, all right? But, they tell me that if you'll go get this flu shot, it is a vaccine. And what is this vaccine supposed to do? It's supposed to prevent you from getting the flu, correct? So he says here that there is a vaccine that will prevent you from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is a vaccine that will keep you from being, uh, having an evil heart of unbelief. And there is a vaccine that will keep you from departing from the living God. And here's what it is. Exhort one another daily. But there's a stipulation here. He says exhort one another daily while it is called what? Now I started this series on relationships. I started this series some weeks ago and I talked to you about Lucy and Charlie Brown and Linus and you'll remember that um, Lucy decided that, that these fingers right here individually, they couldn't do anything. But when they are curled up into a single unit, they become a weapon that is a fear to behold. And if you'll remember correctly, I don't agree with Lucy's theory on her use of the weapon but if there has ever been a demonstration of the way the body of Christ is supposed to be that's it. Individually we're nothing but when we curl together into a single unit we become a weapon that is fearful to behold 
And what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is that God designed it that way. If you remember from last week or week before, I can't remember which one, the Bible told us in 1 Corinthians that God composed the body this way. He designed the body in a way that as each member does its part, growth occurs. As each member does its part and we exhort one another, how often? Daily. Not Sunday morning and then I'll see you next Sunday morning. <laughs> Listen, I've had, the best, I've had the best worship service in the world here on certain Sundays. I'll, I'll walk out of here on Sunday nights going, wow, this was the greatest day ever. I am so on fire for God. God, I will never again depart from you or do anything wrong. And then I, I can't even go to sleep on Sunday night. I'm so on fire. Then I finally go to sleep and I wake up Monday morning and I have to go, God, I did it again. I need it every single day. You can't make it from Sunday to Sunday without beginning to fall into this category of having an evil heart of unbelief, being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and departing from the living God and you not even realize you've departed. I guarantee you this morning, I'm looking at some of you this morning that have departed from the living God right now and you're sitting in your pew just like everybody else. You may even come back tonight. You may even be here Wednesday night. But you have chose to depart. And, the, and mentally you're being deceived because you, you, you don't see it. But if you were to stop and look at the lifestyle you're living, you would realize, I've departed from the living God. I'm no longer walking with him, but instead I'm following the deceitfulness of sin. But he says the cure for this is for us to exhort one another daily while it is called today. Guess what? Tomorrow's not promised. I can't take a chance at Nick King not walking with God tomorrow. I need to make sure that I am exhorting him and encouraging him. But now here's where we get into the problem. I can't do this with every single one of you on a daily basis. I can't get on the phone Monday morning and start here, here, here and start making my phone calls to exhort you and encourage you. I can't do it. But he didn't design it that way. He designed this thing to have relationships in it so that we could exhort one another without any one single person having to take care of the whole body. There, And I see this operating in many of you out there. I see... I see um, um, the, the Ricky Carpenter helping Pat and Ann Engel. I look up and I see um, Nick and Amanda helping, helping Chad and Tina Townsend. I look up and I see this taking place in so many different people and that is the way that it's supposed to operate. We encourage one another, we exhort one another so that no one person has the responsibility of being personal and taking care of the whole crowd so he says here that there's a great need to stay true to God and not chase sin and the vaccine and the remedy for it is that we make sure that we are exhorting one another daily. And look at what he says in verse 14. Here's why there's such a great need for it. In verse 14 he says, For we have become partakers of Christ. What's that next word? Ooh, that's a tough word, ain't it? Paul called them brethren, right? As far as he's concerned, they're saved, right? But he says, brethren, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. But let me tell you something. 
if I choose next week to go and depart from God and live in sin, I want you to know right now, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to win, the end. That means I've got to cross the finish line is what I'm trying to get across to you. If you give up and quit and you begin to go after a lifestyle of sin, I don't care if you said you believed in God a hundred times, even the demons believe, they tremble. You either hold it to the end or you choose to depart from the living God and you were never a partaker of Christ. You see that? I want to talk to you this morning about two things. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. This is important. The importance and the value of relationships, number one, I want you to understand how important and valuable your relationships with each other are. And then I want you to learn the goal in growing them. If I don't finish it tonight, uh, if I don't finish it this morning, I'm going to come back tonight and finish it. So uh, just, But remember those two things, the importance of relationships and the goal that we are reaching for in growing these relationships. Without Christian relationships, many won't make it to the end. That's what I want you to know. Without, without Onsiphorus that I preached to you about last week, Paul might not have finished the race. Without the relationships that we have with each other, many people will not make it to the end. And I'm looking at many in here this morning that may not cross the finish line. You may not. That's just, that's just reality. I would love to sit in here and look at every one of you and say, I know you're going to be there. I don't know. You can't look at me and say, I know you're going to be there. You can't do that. I wish you could. But what you can do is you can watch after me. You can encourage me. You can exhort me. You can lift me up. And you can help keep me on the track that you know leads to this place. And if you can do that, then we can cross the finish line together. But I'm not just talking about any kind of relationship this morning. Listen to me. When I talk about a relationship, I'm, I'm not just talking about being kind and loving. Let me give you an example. Here's what God has called all of us to as Christians. He's called all of us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Good example of that, Good Samaritan. Those of you that have been in reading the Bible very long, you'll remember the story of the Good Samaritan. There is a Jew. He's been beaten and robbed and left half dead on the side of the road, okay? Then we've got a priest that comes by. One of his own is laying here in the ditch and he looks at him and what does he do? He walks by. He keeps going. Then the Levite comes by and the Levite is also of the same tribe that the priest come from. He walks by. He looks at the man, at the Jew laying in the ditch and what does he do? He walks on by. But then we have a Samaritan the Samaritan comes by. He is actually the enemy of the Jews. He is completely opposite of what the Jews are. And he walks by and he looks on the Jew. And what does he do? He has compassion on him. He goes down and he, he, he begins to put ointment on his wounds. He bandages him up. Then he gets off of his animal. He puts him, the Jew, on his animal. He takes the man into the city. He leaves him at an inn. He pays the keeper of the inn to take care of him. And then he says, if this is not enough, when I return, I'll pay you more. Now listen, that good Samaritan did exactly, Jesus commended this love. Jesus talked highly of it. But here's the thing about it. This is not the kind of relationship that I'm talking about having. Many of us will do good unto others. 
Many of us will, will see you in need and I'll come to you and I'll do something good for you to help you. But that kind of relationship is not the kind of relationship that's going to help you endure to the end. It's not. It's going to help you through hard times. I'm talking about a personal relationship. Let me get to the stages here in just a minute. I want to look at Jesus and the kind of relationships he had for you to understand what I'm talking about this morning. Go with me. I want you to flip with me this morning to Luke 6, chapter 12 through 13. And we're going to flip kind of fast. So if you don't get there, if you don't get there, just, um, just hang on and try to listen to me. Luke 6, verse 12 through 13. It's important that I cover all these scriptures and not just tell them to you. So we're going to take the time to go through them. Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 12. Look what it says. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called what? His disciples to himself. Alright. So here we got Jesus that has a group of disciples. Now, if I were to ask right now how many were there, many of you would tell me 12. You're wrong. Keep reading. And from them, he chose how many? 12, whom he also named apostles. So here's what I want you to picture in your head. Here we have Jesus with many disciples. All right, We have Jesus with several people here. And then out of these people, he chooses 12. He don't choose all of them. He chooses 12. And then he calls them apostles. Now, if you were looking at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed how many? Seventy others also. Now, here's what I want to get in your head. There was probably at least 70 plus 12 whenever he picked the first 12, correct? So that means Jesus had a church of at least 82 people, if I do my mouth correct, more than likely. And then out of those 82, he chooses 12, all right? And then keep going with me at verse, uh, look at Mark chapter 3. I know, I know you got a chase with me this morning, and some of you may not like it, some may love it, but... Um, just go with me. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. I want to I look at what he said here. Because this is going to throw a lot of you for a loop, but I need you to hang with me. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. He went up on the mountain, and he called to him those he himself what? <laughs> he called to him those that he himself wanted and they came to him, then he appointed twelve, and here's why, keep going with me, he appointed twelve that they might what? Be with him. So listen, here's what Jesus understood. I cannot personally be with all 82 every single day, every single moment, so here's what I need to do. I need to choose some that can be with me walking on a daily basis that I am in charge of exhorting and encouraging and lifting up and they to me as well. And then at the same time, he's fixing to send 70 out by what? Twos. You know why? 
Because he knows that even they are going to need someone to encourage, to exhort, to lift up. So he depends that the body is going to to minister to one another and it's not just going to fall to him to have to do the whole 82. And by, by following this design, they shall not, if they will stay true to it, they will not fall away. They will keep going. They will stay on track. So the first thing I want you to see is that he chose 12 out of many to be with him and to send them out to preach. He wanted people to be with him. But then we're fixing to go a little deeper because this relationship is just sort of like a, a, a personal relationship. He traveled with these 12 everywhere that he went. Now the rest of the disciples might have been with him from time to time, but these 12 were always with him. They saw everything he did. They asked many questions. They were exhorted by him, encouraged by him. He was more personal with them than he was the other 82. Now, does that mean that he was cliquish? Nope, it don't. It means that he was operating this thing the way it was designed to be. You, me, or no one else in this building is going to have a personal relationship with every single person. I hope you realize that. But you are required and you are encouraged to make relationships with somebody so that you don't try to walk through this thing alone. Now, I'm going to answer this question probably tonight if you're this person who looks at me and says, you know, I just don't have that relationship. Tonight, I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) So come on back and see me tonight and we'll get into that. Personal relationships. He had 12 that he got personal with. But then we move on into a deepening relationship. You've got to move past this. Remember, he's not just asking you to stop right here. Just like the good Samaritan done a good thing by helping his good fellow brother. However, that's not where we are to stop. We are to move on into a personal relationship with someone. And then as we have a personal relationship, we are to work on deepening this relationship. Let me give you another example. All right, now look at Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 37. I'm going to use Jesus in every bit of this so you know I'm not just making this up. Personal relationships, and then we grow them into deepening relationships. Remember, the importance of the relationship is because we probably will not make it to the end without them. All right? That's the value of them. You will not make it to heaven without them, more than likely. You will not make it to heaven without them. You will depart from a living God and you will not stay true to the faith. If you think that all those that Paul saved, half of those didn't didn't make it to the end, what makes you any different? Nothing. Any of you can depart from the living God. Deepening relationships. Mark chapter 5 verse 35 through 37. Look what he says. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said to him, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? All right, now picture this in your head. You've got a ruler of the synagogue that's watching Jesus do miracles, right? And he is waiting for his turn to see Jesus because his little baby girl is at home on her deathbed. All y'all fathers out here, listen to me. I just said his baby girl is at home on her deathbed. And he's standing there waiting on his turn when all of a sudden one of the people from his house comes and says, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher. Leave him alone. It's hopeless. There is no chance. 
you might as well come on back home and mourn for your daughter. And then look at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted that no one to follow him except who? Hang on now. What, the, what about the twelve? Now he's turned around and he's looked at the twelve and he says, okay, no one can come with me except Peter, James, and John. So here he has the personal relationship with his twelve. But then there are three out of this twelve that he has grown deeper with. That now he has such a relationship with him that he's going to take them everywhere he goes for prayer. Uh, look, with me, Keep reading with me in verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him. And who were those who were with him? So here we got Peter, James, and John and the mother and the father are the only ones that he allows in the house. This is a very important moment. He's fixing to raise the dead. And he says, the only ones that I want with me right now are the ones that I know I can count on. The ones who have begun to prove themselves that their mind and my mind are on the same things. So he says, Peter, James, and John, y'all are the ones that I know you're eager, you're willing, you're always there. So he starts to deepen the relationship with these right here. Um, so, some other places. Um, look at um, Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28. <clears throat> now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took who? <laughs> now listen, if you're one of those 12 other than Peter, James, and John Now Jesus is fixing to go up on a mountain and show them his glory Wouldn't you be like, why Peter, James, and John How, how come he's always, that's, that's who he's always with Don't you know there was some talk about this right here But he took Peter, James, and John And they go up on a mountain and what are they going to do? In other words, he had deepened his relationship he prayed with the other 12, don't get me wrong. But these three, he could get down with and he could pray. These three could feel a little bit of what he was feeling. These three could understand just a little bit of what, a little bit more of what he was going through, of what he needed, of what his desires were. So he knew that they could be his trusted prayer partners. But not only that, he knew that in a, in a deepening relationship, these are people that you believe you can, you can show things to that they're not going to tell just everybody. Now look what, look what happens. He says in verse 29, 
As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So here we got Jesus. He could have went up on that mountain by himself, could he not? He got up there, and now he's having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. But now here's the thing about it. This is a deep relationship, ain't it? Jesus is going to show his glory to these people. But don't be fooled for one second because Peter, James, and John still ain't perfect. Let me tell you something in these relationships. They require work. They require grace. Keep reading. Verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. <laughs> and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Now why did Jesus take them up on the mountain? To do what? Well, but to begin with, it was to, to pray. Why is it that every time Jesus goes up to pray, his closest friends go to sleep on him? Hmm. But look what he goes on. Keep going with me down to verse um, 36. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. That's one reason why I believe that Jesus growed this deepening relationship with them. They weren't perfect by no means. They, go, they went to sleep on him some of his toughest times. But he could trust them with certain things. And he knew he's going to have to forgive certain things. He knew that they weren't perfect. But he knew that he could be in a deepening relationship with them because he could show them things. He could tell them things that he couldn't just tell and show anybody. So you got your, you got your 82 you got your 12, then you got your three. It goes from just a love relationship of all to a personal relationship of 12 to a deepening relationship of three. All, but we're not there yet. There's one more to go. We're going back to not only a deepening relationship, but we're going to go to a full-grown, personal, deep, faith-building relationship. Look with me, if you would, at John 19, verse 25 through 27. The Gospel of John. Chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. Now there by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Now, that, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, that disciple took her to his own home. Many times in the book of John, you will read the... John is the writer of this, all right? But many times you will read the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, y'all have heard me say this before. Do you really believe Jesus loved this disciple more than he did the other 82? No, he didn't love him more. But he had a deeper, personal, faith-building relationship with this one more than he had the 82. 
Here's what I believe why. When you get to this relationship, this is the goal that you're trying to reach. You're trying to grow your relationships into this goal. You want to see your relationship get to a place to where me and Nick have the same mind. We have the same mind. Now you can see this if you were to go to read the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you were to go read those, you would see the theme behind all these books is what? Think about what? Love. Austin Hoagland preached about it just a few weeks ago. The theme behind every one of John's books is love. God is the essence of love. Love is the assurance of the Christian. Love gives you assurance and boldness in the day of judgment. It's all about love. And when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments, teacher? What did he say? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. If anybody got what Jesus got, it was John. He spent so much time with this guy that John just got him. But not only that, this built Jesus' faith. Jesus so trusted this guy that every other disciple had fled all the sheep were scattered whenever they come to taking, but now we stand in front of the cross where he is being crucified and here stands this disciple openly with the family not caring what the, the soldiers are going to do and he looks up and the Lord looks down at him and says, John, take care of my mama. <laughs> my mama, my mother. Now, any of you that's had a close relationship with your mother, I know not all has. But if anybody knows about their mama, you don't just trust anybody with your mama. It takes a special person to put in charge of taking care of your mama. And he looks down at John, and this relationship is so deep that he tells John, John, I want you to take care of my mama. But it wasn't just that. Keep, look, look with me if you would at John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 21 through 28. I want to show you another thing that I love about where this relationship got to. And remember, this is the goal that you are trying to reach with each other. You are to be pursuing this relationship with somebody in this place. I love to see, see people like Ricky and Pat and the Ingles and the Carpenters that just look after each other. Hello, that's what we do. I love to look up and see the, the church just going to take care of Wanda and Mike and ain't nobody looked up yet and said, where's the pastor? The pastor's busy. Believe me. Ain't nobody said a word. You know why? Because, he's, because the body is taking care of each other. The body is doing exactly what it is designed to do and if we don't exhort one another daily, we will depart. Someone will get away if you're not, if all you're doing is coming to church, getting in your pew and sitting down, and you're not pursuing this type of relationship, you are so failing at your job. Amen. That's just the truth. You need to be developing personal relationships to exhort and encourage and push each other toward the finish line. Pinky, how many times have I sit in your house and talk to you about do this and do that? And then how many times me and you sit down and talk, we need to do better at this and we need to do better at that. we pulled each other out of the fire many times. We've pulled each other out of the fire many times and every single one of us ought to be pursuing a relationship that you've got somebody in your life that can jerk your butt up out of the fire when you get there. Because guess what? Any of you can get there. Any of you. 
John chapter 13, verse 21 through 28. Look at this. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to close right here and finish up tonight. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. All right? Then the disciples looked at one another. Now we got probably the twelve sitting around here, correct? They looked at one another and they were perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Now think about this. You've got the 12 disciples. Jesus is, from the picture we got, is sitting in the middle. I don't know if that's true or not. But from the picture we got, Jesus is sitting in the middle. And you've got the 12 disciples sitting around the table. Then you've got the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. And he's leaned back on the breast of Jesus. And they're just right there together. And then Jesus makes the statement, one of you's going to betray me. And all the disciples look around at each other perplexed. And no one wants to ask the question, but they know that there is one in the room that's a little more personal with Jesus than the rest of us. Even Peter, one of the three, knows this. So Peter motions to John. He's trying to do it while Jesus ain't looking, all right? Y'all picture this. He's, he, he's motioning every time Jesus turns to look somewhere else. He motions, and he finally gets John's attention. And John looks up, and he goes, what do you want? Peter says, John, ask him, ask him who it is. And then look what the next verse says in verse 25. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Then Jesus answered, it is he, and remember, this is a whispering conversation going on. If We're going to keep reading here in a minute. You're going to see the other ones don't know about this. Jesus has such a personal, deep, faith-building relationship with John that he will tell John things that he won't tell anybody else. So he says here, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. Nobody else knows. And having dipped the bread, so he takes the bread. He wants to tell John. He takes the bread. He dips the bread. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do it quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Now think about this. Who's writing this book? So who can say no one else at the table knew? And John still knows. John is the personal, he had such a relationship with Jesus. He so had the same mind and the same desires that Jesus had that they could get down with one another and they could minister to one another. They could build each other's faith. John was one of the three that went everywhere to Jesus to, to pray with him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. He was exceedingly troubled even unto death. And he took Peter, James, and who? John. Oh, but listen. Even as close a relationship as Jesus and John had, John wasn't perfect neither. Because when Jesus comes back in his darkest hour, he comes back and he says, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? John, you know how close we are. You know how 
tight we are and my darkest time you go to sleep so there is times that you're going to have to be a little upset at your friends there are going to be times that it's going to get tough and it's going to require grace but listen did Jesus quit having a friendship with him because of it nope nope he didn't he sit back and he said I'm going to forgive I'm going to give grace I'm trying to get across to you this morning, and I'm going to finish up tonight. I can't, I can't even wrap up where I'm at because i got so much more to do. I want you to really think about where you're at in this body. I want you to think about the relationships that you have in this body. I want you to realize that many will not make it to the end. They will be captured by deceitfulness of sin, they will be captured by hardness of heart and, and have an evil heart of unbelief and depart from a living God and many of them will keep coming to church and them or us, neither one, will ever know it. But if we develop the kind of relationships that Jesus is teaching us to get to, you can't have a personal, deep, faith-building relationship with everybody, but you can have it with one. There is someone that God has put in your life. Someone that you need to be pursuing a relationship with. Now again, somebody's looking at me this morning saying, I don't have that relationship. Somebody's looking at me this morning saying, I've pursued this relationship but nobody wants it. I'm probably going to tell you why tonight. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to tell you some things that need to change in your life in order for this to take place. But I want you to do this morning, I want you to examine yourself and look at your relationships. And I want to ask, are you in a place that you have someone in your life, that you have a disciple that stands by your side, that you have a personal relationship with someone in the body? And if you don't, I want you to begin to pray this morning, God, I understand the value of relationships. I know that I might not make it to the end without them because you designed it this way. You composed the body this way. You structured the body this way. This is the way it works. Every part is needed. Remember that? Every part. And then I want you to ask God to help you to begin to learn how to build these relationships and to help you grow it into a personal deepening, faith-building relationship so that you are so in tune with this person that you can look at them and say, take care of my mama when I'm gone. Take care of my child when I'm gone. Take care of my business when I'm gone because I trust you. Look at yourself and see what you need this morning.